from the beginning to the end. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat the content treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live for ourselves alone, and none of us die for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that we, he, might be the, he might be the Lord of both the, living, the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother and sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean by itself, in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because what you have, what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not of matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned 
if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Thanks, Jay. Um, Sam was meant to be preaching tonight, uh, but he's been quite sick and he made it in, dragged himself in to help to do the baptism with her, to see Mia baptised, but he's had to go home. Uh, so I'm preaching uh, in his place and he has uh, passed on uh, some of his notes. So with all that in mind, I think we should pray <laughs> before we start. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. Uh, thank you how it reveals who you are, your heart, but also uh, who you want us to be. And as we hear your word uh, tonight, help us uh, be formed by your Holy Spirit into that people you want us to be. Amen. Uh, the handout you got as you came in, it'll have the passage. It'll be uh, great to have that in front of you and just some uh, headings where you can jot some notes down as well. Where we're kind of in the middle of a series, uh, in the last part of the uh, book of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote this uh, to the earliest church community in Rome. So really they're just learning about what it means to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and what it means to really live together. Uh, they're living in a culture that uh, might see them as weird and perhaps even is hostile to who they are. And like most early churches, the church in Rome is very diverse. Uh, it's multi-ethnic. There's rich people, there's poor people, there's slaves, there's free people, there's men, there's women, and then there's uh, Jewish people and people who aren't Jews, uh, as the Bible calls them, the Gentiles. And the big question really this particular passage, this section of the letter of the Romans deals with is how should Christians uh, treat each other when we disagree? How should Christians treat each other when we disagree? Now I've been married to my wife Liz for almost 20 years now and believe it or not we've disagreed before. We've disagreed before. I think one of our most passionate and, and particularly pointless arguments was about strawberry milk. Uh, it was when uh, my eldest daughter was about six months old and we were both very sleep deprived. If you want to know more about the story, come to convention and ask her there. Now, some of the disagreements, some of the conflict we have might be harmless and in retrospect a bit, a bit funny. But some of these disagreements we have can be more significant. Uh, across the history of the church, uh, there's been disagreements over points of doctrine and other issues of church practice and that has led to uh, churches dividing into different denominations and even led some uh, Christians to persecute other Christians. There have been huge issues. And for our church here, uh, St Jude's at Uni Church, uh, the diversity of church experience that we've come from uh, mean that sometimes there are lots of points of, of difference and disagreement and that could lead conflict. There are people who've grown up, uh, grown up in Presbyterian churches or uh, Baptist churches or Pentecostal churches or, or Catholic churches or uh, Anglican churches and, and you know there's quite a great uh, big variation in between Anglican churches so, so what we do here at St Jude's might seem a little bit different to what you're used to. And we don't just come from different church backgrounds, we might not come from a church at all or we come from different parts. We come from uh, Melbourne or, or Sydney or regional Victoria, across Australia, throughout the world from Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, North America, the UK. 
We have people here who are uh, politically uh, progressive and some who are more conservative and, and sort of all along in between. And one of the great things about church community and particularly this church community is the diversity here. But of course with that much diversity there's bound to be disagreement, differences. And sometimes they'll be about the Christian life, what we think the Bible teaches. And this is, we're kind of really in a situation that's pretty similar to the church here in Rome. Uh, Many of them are ethnically Jewish, so they've grown up uh, obeying the laws of the Old Testament, the Torah, while others have grown up in Roman society. They're used to Roman religion and lots of gods and different practices and rituals. And these two quite disparate groups are coming together as a new community to follow Jesus together. And there are challenges that are coming from this diversity And in the Roman church, they've got some. One group has hang-ups over diets and sacred days. That's one group. And the other group has kind of hang-ups over this group. You kind of got that vibe as we were reading the passage, hey. And what seems to be happening is that some of them, probably those who are are Jewish, are vegetarians. And it's not really because of ethical concerns about the environmental impact of meat production or compassion for animals, really what they're uh, concerned about is purity. Uh, The worship practices of Roman society, lots of the meat that was sold in the markets had been sacrificed to idols and the Jewish people, they didn't want any part of that. So they, uh, some of them chose, uh, like Daniel did in Babylon, if if you read in the Old Testament, to avoid meat entirely. So they wouldn't be associated with that sort of practice. So we've got to have All that in mind as we come to verse 3. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. He's telling both groups to not judge, not treat each other with contempt. Paul calls the kind of issues that are causing the problems, verse 1, a disputable matter, a disputable matter. Whether you eat meat or not, that's not really a big deal. It's not a deal-breaker to sort of judge whether your faith is genuine or to whether you belong in the church or not. It just, it's just not that important. It's a disputable matter. It's up to you. And there's a second disputable matter that he's talking about uh, that they're actually judging each other over, and that's about their calendars, their sacred days. What's in your calendar? Like their diet, sacred days are one of the kind of big markers uh, for Jewish communities, one of the key identity markers. Uh, In the early church, some of those who were ethnically Jewish uh, were probably still observing sacred days like the Sabbath and other uh, key festivals in the Jewish calendar. And non-Jewish believers, well, of course, they didn't have that background, they didn't do it. And, so, and as some of them do or don't observe the Sabbath, uh, as some of them do or they don't observe the Sabbath based on their conscience, what's the problem? Not so much what they're doing with the Sabbath, but how they're treating each other. They're judging each other. 
That language is there in verse 3 a couple of times, in verse 4, in verse 10, in verse 13. Paul also calls what they're doing with each other, treating each other with contempt in verses 3 and 10. And the reason they're doing that is because these things don't really matter. They're disputable matters. That's why Paul uh, is so stern with them about their behaviour. We like to think that we're not judgmental. No one wants to be judgmental. But we move to it so easily, don't we? We judge each other instinctively. That can be like on, a, on a kind of large, really destructive scale, like racism or ethnic tension or, or class division, judging people based on the colour of their skin or what gender they are, all, all those sorts of things. And we judge people in little ways as well, kind of, it's hard to, we, sometimes we keep those ways private or it's harder to notice, like the way we think about someone who votes differently or has different kind of political views to us. We judge them. Uh, there was an online survey kind of asking people to share what they secretly judge others for. See if you can identify with any of these. Uh, some people secretly judge others for not putting their shopping trolley back. Is that you? Some people judge others, judge others based on the background of their phone, especially if they have a picture of themselves on it. Some people judge others based on their driving skills. Apparently a lot of answers were about this one. Some people judge others for oversharing on social media. They judge people who treat their pets like children. What's the secret thing you judge other people about? Maybe next time we have welcome time, that can be the question. What are you secretly judging others for? But this judging, particularly when it's not trivial... When it's harsh, in the language of Romans, that's a pattern of the world. This judging occurs when we think less of others, when we think God thinks less of them, and that's a pattern of the world. Because they think differently to us, they do things differently to us, we think, well, we must be better. God thinks less of them. Remember back to those key opening verses in Romans 12 and if you've been with us over the journey you will remember uh, they're key verses which really kind of shape the whole trajectory of the last four chapters of the chapters 12 to 16. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pattern of the world, the normal way for humans to behave is to judge one another, to condemn. Judging others is when we think we're better in God's eyes better than that person over there because of a lifestyle or a belief or because of some other thing. And even though we live in a culture that highly values tolerance and inclusion, we see that very culture kind of morphing and hardening into intolerance and judgment of anyone who doesn't share its values. We're moved to judgment very easily. But followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are called not to conform to the pattern of this world, but be, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're called to a different way of life, a different way of being human. 
Now, we need to be honest. Uh, as Christians, the church hasn't always lived up to this call here, has it? Even in a world where we kind of are constantly judging each other instinctively, even in that world, the church is seen by people sometimes as judgmental. As an example, in, in, strict, in Scripture, uh, the tax collector and the Pharisee from Luke 18, and, and sometimes this is how people think, I think, of Christians. and Like this Pharisee, and there's a Pharisee standing, he stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, uh, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give... T- a tenth of all that I get, I'm better. Sadly, sometimes Christians can be just like that Pharisee in the way that we view others, when really we should be more like the tax collector. And Jesus said, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven and, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's not judging anyone. And what does Jesus say? I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. This is a really important issue. That's why Jesus spoke about it in Luke 18. It really matters that we are transformed from this worldly pattern of judgment to something new. Well, what might be the kinds of things we judge each other over in the church today? Remember, Paul's writing here about Christians judging each other and so this is about being within the church community. Uh, maybe it's not about Sabbath observing or eating meat or, eating, or, or being vegetarian, so I suspect some judging happens around that. Might we judge each other about our politics? How can you vote for a party that locks up refugees? How can you vote for these left-wing parties that are trying to squeeze uh, our Christian ethics out of society? Often we uh, take our preferences, our way of seeing the world, and we uh, spiritualise them and we elevate them to levels of essentials and make them the main thing, the big marker of what it means to be a Christian. Now, we've got to hear this properly. I'm not saying, we're not saying that political issues aren't important. Not at all. I'm not saying that other issues aren't necessarily important. What Paul is addressing here is the way that we treat each other when we have different opinions on issues like politics or other issues, issues of theology, issues of Christian practice. There are plenty of other issues we could put in this kind of box of disputable matters. Should Christians drink? What do we do with Halloween? Maybe it's a theological question about infant baptism, right? Maybe that's the first time you've seen a, a baby baptised and you're thinking, wow, that's, that's a bit different. Or maybe you're thinking, this shouldn't be happening. You know what I mean? There are lots of issues that can kind of fit into this box 
and it's hard to figure out how to how, how to wrestle with these issues because the denominations have emerged and people have diverged due to some of these big questions. And so the question is, what do we do? How do we think about this as Christians? Well, I think in Romans 14, God gives us some really good stakes in the ground to start to think about some of these things. And some of them are are surprising. You see, when it comes to these differences in the Roman church, uh, Paul doesn't kind of sit beside these vegetarians and explain that they can actually eat meat with clear consciences. Even though he says here in, in, in uh, chapter 14, this is actually his opinion. He's saying you can eat meat with a clear conscience. But he doesn't go there. Instead he says, don't judge each other, not, based on, not because of who's wrong and right. Don't judge each other because we already have a master and a judge. Verse 4, to their own masters... Uh, to their own master, servants stand or fall. Verse 7, none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. Verse 8, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Verse 10, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And verse 12, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Paul is saying we shouldn't judge each other because we already have a master and a judge that we're accountable to. every person lives to please somebody you me all of us Uh, it might be to please ourselves or someone else our parents our our partners our boss uh, our group of friends whoever it is at the end of every decision there's always someone whether it's you or somebody else and as followers of Jesus however we're called to live to please an audience of one God, the one who made us, the one who redeemed us, the one who sustains us, the one who will judge us. We live for Jesus, to live, to please and honour and glorify him. He's our Lord. Ten times uh, in the first nine verses, Paul calls Jesus our Lord. If someone calls Jesus Lord, then it's, the Lord Jesus who has the right and the role to pass judgment on somebody else. No one else. Not me, not you. And the thing is, when someone calls Jesus Lord, God's judgment is not actually condemnation. His judgment is that they are forgiven and righteous in Christ. So one, I as your fellow believer, I am in no position to judge you because your Lord, who is also my Lord, is the one who will judge each of us. And we've got to be clear what we mean by judging. We're not, we're not saying we don't see things that are wrong or we're not discerning or we're not criticising, but to judge here means to say someone is lesser or out of God's family because of what they do. That's what he's talking about here. So I, as your fellow believer, am in no position to judge you because your Lord, who is also my Lord, he's the judge of all of us. And so I'm in no position to treat you with contempt because the Lord Jesus treats you with grace. So all of us are ultimately accountable to God and there's no place to judge each other. As Paul quotes in 
Verse 11, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Some of us here might be living for the approval of others. If that's you, you can be free of that and reorient yourself to the one whose judgment really matters. Jesus, God, the only true judge. And living with God as our judge. It sounds a bit scary, but it's actually the best news ever. Because despite what society may tell us, his judgment is a lot better. You see, our fellow human beings can actually be the harshest judges of all. Just ask someone who's been bullied or cancelled, someone who's been made fun of because they wear the wrong clothes or have the wrong body shape or said the wrong thing, make a mis- made a mistake and everyone kind of gets them. But God, because of Jesus, he judges us with grace. In Jesus, God judges you as innocent, free and worthy. You see, none of us have lived the life that God has called us to, but Jesus has stood in our place. He's lived the perfect life. He went to the cross and bore the punishment that we deserved so that his perfection, his life, might be ours. Because of Jesus, we can stand before God and his judgment, and that judgment is not guilty. It's wonderful news. It's the best judgment. So for those who are in Christ, we stand before God's God's judgment seat with grace. We find grace there. That's the kind of God we worship. And if that's the kind of God we worship, if that's how God has treated us, how could we not treat each other the same way? With grace. Even when we disagree. Even when you think what someone says is wrong and what they're doing is dumb. Grace. That's what God has done for us. That's, that's really the thrust of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Every one of us is accountable to God for how we live and in Christ he's judged us with grace. So treat each other with grace. Don't judge each other for the ways that you're different. Don't treat each other with contempt. Well, what might that look like? What does it look like to live that kind of transformed life? Have a look at verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Don't do anything which offends the conscience of your brother or sister in Christ, even when you're persuaded that they're wrong and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, One of the early church uh, fathers, one of the early leaders of the Christian church, Oregon, uh, wrote... Eating meat and drinking wine are matters of indifference in, the, in themselves. doesn't matter. 
even wicked people may abstain from those things. The only reason abstinence of this kind is good is that it may help to avoid offending a brother or sister. So that's kind of got to be our guide. How does it help others? Imagine I have a friend who's uh, struggled in the past with alcohol. Uh, Before he became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he was following the pattern of this world and and getting drunk, but now uh, he's become a Christian uh, and his, uh, his life is being turned around. And it's a slow process, just step by step, but slowly his life is coming under the lordship of Christ. Now, I'm convinced, uh, just a quiet, cool beer, glass of wine, that's a good thing. In fact, it's one of God's good gifts in his creation. I've got no qualms about enjoying that. But how about when I have a dinner with my, with my mate or we're in a church gathering and he's kind of still struggling? What would Romans 14 call us to do? Give him a sermon how it's okay for me to drink alcohol? I think Romans 14 would say, let it go. Lay down your rights for your brother or your sister in Christ. Uh, Another example, perhaps uh, we're watching some sort of TV show and you've got a brother or sister that you know is really affected by the kind of things that are on that show. What do you do? Explain why that it's okay for you and why Christians should, can watch them and it, or do you just, for the sake of your brother or sister, do you just say, no, we're not going to... What would Roman... Don't watch for the sake of your brother or sister. And when we come to these disputable matters, these differences in practice or, or secondary theological questions, it's another thing to work out what, what are primary and what are secondary, but... Well, that's for another day. We've got to apply the same uh, spirit of other-focused love. We view one another in our differences through the lens of love, not pretending that we don't disagree or anything like that, but viewing uh, other people through love rather than with judgment or contempt. And that will change the way we talk about these things as well. Not just trying to win the argument, but trying to love the person. Now, we need to be careful here, though. Paul is not saying that every difference is okay. Uh, He's not saying that uh, there's no such thing as a wrong uh, practice or or theological position. Uh, He's not saying, if my conscience allows me to, I can just sleep with whoever I want. Or if my conscience allows me, I can just not pay my taxes. He's not saying that. He's also not saying that there aren't sort of key things about God and Jesus that are revealed in the scriptures uh, that aren't of primary importance. Those things don't fit into this category of disputable matters. There are some hills to die on. There are issues of first importance uh, and practices which are right and practices which are wrong. But this teaching is about the secondary stuff, disputable matters. We've got to learn to triage what these issues are. Uh, One night a few weeks ago, 
uh, I had to go into the emergency department because my cat scratched me on the eye. Dumb cat. Anyway, I was there for five hours, right? I went in there, they had a look at my eye and, and confirmed that I wasn't going to bleed to death through my eye. So then uh, sent me back and I waited and let and other people went through because their cases were more important, right? They went through this process of triage. And we're going to do that with these issues that we talk about. And as we triage these points of difference and disagreement, the call here is not to major on the minors, which we can do sometimes. We can really major on the minors because we, we really think they're important, but they're really just not. The call here is not to make a big deal of things which aren't a big deal. It's a call to treat one another with grace instead of treating each other with contempt or judgment. It's a call to look at ourselves and our community with a renew, renewed mind and not by the pattern of this world. Let me pray and ask for God to help us to do that. Loving Father God, we thank you for your word to us in Romans 14. Father, help us to be a real community of grace where love is what motivates us, where we discuss things, even our disagreements, we treat them and treat others with respect and love as we talk about them. Help us to major on the majors and to minor on the minors. In Jesus' name, amen.